Hello and welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast about Scottish heritage, culture and nature. I'm Annie, your friendly archivist. And I'm Jenny, your friendly ghost. You don't look very ghostly to me, Jenny. I'm a ghost of the person I was before lockdown, Annie. (laughs) (laughs) But don't worry, I'm in high spirits today because we're looking at Scottish ghost stories from local newspapers. This is part of our Halloween season, where we're looking at stories and places that are a wee bit spooky. And Annie, there's absolutely nothing more terrifying, horrifying, or frightful than a local newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really love local newspapers. Which in itself is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) They show us a wee glimpse into lives that we might not otherwise know. The local newspaper often captures stories of working class people who may not have many other historical documents about them. And there's something truly charming about ghost stories in local newspapers (laughs) because they give us an example of suspicions, mystery and imagination in often quite everyday life circumstances. Plus, I've managed to pick up a few helpful tricks for if we ever get haunted. Ooh, such as? Well, there's an old Celtic way of capturing a ghost and all we need is... A big horn and a big pile of stones. Ah, yes, the old tootin' cairn. When you build a stone cairn and then you dance around it, tooting your horn to the tune of Dancing Queen by ABBA. And what do you know? You've captured the ghost of platform boots. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Jenny, I don't think it's a tooty horn. Oh. I think it's more a, a kind of animal horn. Or a drinking horn, Mm. that kind of horn. Like a, think Viking horns. Got it. But didn't they toot through Viking horns as well? You can... Not a drinking horn. You can make a call. (laughs) You can make a noise through a Viking horn. Okay. But it's not a toot. And Mm. I think it would be challenging to do ABBA. But if any of our (laughs) listeners are horn players... (laughs) And can play ABBA on a Viking horn specifically. (laughs) Then do get in touch. But no, what you do is you take the animal horn Mm -hmm. and you build a stone cairn around it, completely covering the horn itself. And what happens is the ghost goes to sleep inside the horn, Uh but can't escape because of the cairn. The cairn has these these mystical properties that keep it entrapped. So this is why you never ever destroy a cairn at the top of a mountain in Scotland because you're going to get haunted. I think it's safest just to assume that every cairn has a ghost inside. I think that's a much more fun way to go Monroe bagging, actually, knowing that there might be a ghost at the top to welcome you. <laughs> Give you a sandwich. Point out all the peaks to you in the distance and I'm like, oh, thank you, mountain cairn horn ghost. <laughs> it's a spooktacular view. Ooh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So this is a ghost story that really tickled me. It's from the Glasgow Free Press on Saturday 23rd of April 1864. Now for this story in particular, I think it says something quite special about old wives' tales. A house in Scots Lane, Port Glasgow, has been subjected to great annoyance by mysterious rappings and other banging sounds and appearances which have given the occupiers the belief that the house was haunted by something supernatural. The supposed ghost first appeared under a bed in the shape of a rabbit, then a rat, then a small dog, 
and much worse. So we have the classic tale of a haunted house. I'm honestly quite scared to see how we can get much worse than the ghost of a small dog. I'd rather burn my house down than share it with the ghost of a perpetually angry chihuahua. (laughs) Shall we continue with the tale, Jenny? The chihuahua's tale. In these days of modern scepticism, this story excited our curiosity and a feeling that it was something special to see a person who had seen a ghost. We dispatched a messenger to the scene of the ghost's operations, but he returned none the wiser. Detective work, however, finds a solution to this mystery. This apparently haunted house is halfway down Scott's Lane and runs from south to north at Port Glasgow. It is a small stone tenement of two storeys and attics. The haunted room in question is directly above a straight wooden stair off the lane. It is occupied by Hugh Carl, a labourer, and his wife and three young wains, and also his mother. Carl's house is said to be haunted, and the bed that is over the staircase is the place where all these mysterious phenomena have arisen from. (gasps) The grandmother speaks distinctly of having heard scrapings and knockings under the bed, and having seen many unaccountable appearances. She believes that someone has thrown a magic spell over the house and wonders, how can it be removed? She gravely says that she believes the sounds cannot come from an evil spirit or they would only be heard at night. And she also hears them in the morning around 10.30 when she's having her coffee. (laughs) (laughs) So I find this really interesting that though the whole family are testifying to a haunting, the newspaper really focuses in on the account of the grandmother. And I think this shows a certain inclination that we often rely on the older generations to remind us of our old superstitions. And I think this can sometimes imply that as we get older, we become less in touch with the modern world and modern science. However, I prefer to think that it's actually a big compliment, that as we age, we gain wisdom. And with that wisdom, We sometimes find values in beliefs that are disproven by science. But in this story, the grandmother is about to become a very brave hero. The grandmother had been sleeping on the floor one night when the noises began. So she approached the bed where the children lay, and she knelt at the bedside and said her prayers. Then she addressed an interrogative question to the ghost. Immediately... The knocking ceased, and the bed began to lift off the floor, and suddenly the grandmother was struck with a potato. (laughs) (laughs) Granny got hit with a potato. Granny got hit with a potato. What did she ask this ghost to anger it so much that it flung a potato at her? (laughs) I'll have the chips, please. (laughs) She looked round to see if one of the children had thrown the potato but they pointed under the bed, directing her attention to a brawny hand attached to a strong arm which poked out from under the bed. Clearly, this strong, ghostly hand had pelted the potato at the old woman. The potatoes were stored under the bed, which is how the ghost had such easy access to them. Ah, yeah, can he chuck a tatty at your gran? No, you can't. You can't chuck a tatty. <laughs> 
Do you think if like you kept some cream and potatoes under the bed one night, you'd get creamy dauphinois thrown at you the next day? <laughs> just get ready with a pot, just waiting for the potato salad to come out. <laughs> <laughs> not, not sure that's quite how hauntings work. There's only one way to find out, Annie. We need to get a horn from a cairn, and put it under my bed and give it some potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jenny, this has gone too far. And it also went too far in this particular case in Port Glasgow. The whole town got involved and quite excited by the whole affair. People began coming to the house to see if they could hear or see this infamous ghost. Mm. And a few witnesses claimed to have heard the banging and scratching noises too. Even a priest was called, though he just laughed off the situation. However, there's another unexpected twist in this story, as the newspaper implies that there is a culprit. The butler did it? The ghost butler. The ghost butler's chihuahua. (sighs) Jenny, this poor grandmother is sleeping on the floor. Mm. There's absolutely no way that this family can afford either a ghost butler Mm -hmm. or a chihuahua. That's fair. Plus, this entire story predates the chihuahua coming to the UK by (laughs) decades. What if that's how the chihuahua first made it to the UK? A ghost threw it from under a bed and boom, we've got chihuahuas now. (laughs) But you're right, spirits are very expensive to buy. But this is not a ghost, Jenny. This is a hoax. All right, okay, let's go back to the paper. They claim it is not a ghost, nor a butler, but rather... It is possible that the landlord, Mr. Clements, once read to his tenants and could be using his access to the building and knowledge of the street to torment the Carl family into leaving their lodgings. What a horrible landlord. Raising rents is one thing, Annie, but raising the dead is totally uncalled for. But I have to say, quite original. <laughs> and I wonder if this is why the grandmother was so adamant that there was a ghost. It feels much less terrifying, I guess, especially for children, to be pursued by a non-evil spirit than the possibility that your landlord sometimes creeps under your bed and makes noises and Mm. chucks potatoes at your (laughs) granny. Personally, I would much rather face a ghost than a creepy potato-chucking landlord. I would dig on the landlord. He's chucking potatoes. Little does he know, Annie, I've got your grandfather's turnips in the cupboard. My grandfather does indeed have massive turnips. They'd be more like cannonballs, Jenny. Uh, you know, it's right. I don't actually think I could throw them that far. So, yeah, bring on bring on a ghostie under the bed rather than a landlord sneaking under there and throwing potatoes at your granny. So, Annie... I was in Aberdeenshire a few weeks ago and we were exploring the countryside when we stumbled upon Fivey Castle. This is a very old castle that has many spooky stories wandering through its hallways. And none more mysterious and truly evidenced than a tale from 1920, where real bones were found built into the walls of one of the tower rooms. So I did some digging around after you told me this story. And I managed to find a newspaper article from the Aberdeen Daily Journal from January 1920. This is only a couple of weeks after the bones had been found. Green Lady's ghost seen in Fivey Castle. Maid's remarkable story. Skeleton built into the wall. And what followed its removal. The countryside of Fivey has, for a past week, 
been agog with excitement over a mystery. We have no physical forces which to explain away the happenings. Deny it or believe it. It has an array of supporting facts demanding at least attentive scrutiny. The facts are 1. The ghost has been seen. 2. Bones have been discovered in the walls of the gun room. 3. Unexplainable noises have been heard all over the castle. And 4. The removal of the bones has been followed by an increased volume and number of noises. Mm. What do you think, Annie? Evidence of ghosts? Um, I think the scariest thing about that was how much your accent changed from the beginning <laughs> to end. It was like you were being possessed just thinking of Fivey Castle. Well, there's lots of different towers, each built by a different generation of family that's lived in there. So I'm just moving the accents around the towers. <laughs> what people say. About a week or two ago, an enormous fungus resembling a toadstool in shape, had been found growing in the corner of the gunroom in Fivey Castle. And imagining that damp behind the walls was the origin of growth, the house carpenter and mason were called in to investigate. The wall was torn down, and cemented among the rubble was found a complete skeleton. <gasps> the bones were buried in the local churchyard, but their removal was the signal for boisterous disturbance throughout the castle. Lord Leith at the time was in London, and on being informed of the facts, gave instructions that the skeleton be rebuilt into the wall. Quietness followed. Fivey Castle, of course, abounds with legends. It has the ghost room, its murder room, and its secret chamber. Well, now it can add the skeleton in the wall room. Yeah, most people would just keep their skeletons in the closet, but... When in Rome? When in Fivey Castle, stick it in the wall. <laughs> so, who did this skeleton belong to? The particular legend which would apply in the present case is of the Green Lady, a fatal prophetess of immediate coming evil to the proprietor who sees her. She wanders in fearful loneliness through long corridors till she disappears into the panels of dark wood. Recently, she made her reappearance. Testimony to the fact is given by one Miss Macy. There had been many long evenings of talk about the strange noises in the castle, but on this occasion there was nothing out of the ordinary said, and certainly... Nothing was talked of that would lead a girl like myself, with no belief in ghosts or supernatural happenings, to be so worked up in excitement as to imagine I saw what wasn't there. I went to bed at ten o'clock and slept soundly until between four and five. I lay awake for half an hour and was thinking of nothing more romantic than the pleasure of a long lie in bed on the coming Sunday. Oh, the comfort. There was practically no light in the room, although it was a bright and starry night. Shortly before five o'clock, though, a white object stepped out from the wall near the head of my bed. I could not make out the features, but the figure was that of a lady dressed in a wide, flowing white gown. I was too terrified to speak. She sailed right across the room, and looking round at me before she left, disappeared into the door opposite. 
Miss Macy indignantly refused any suggestion as to a possible mistake. The figure walked straight over the floor. I saw it distinctly. Who the lady was, I don't know. Whether she was a ghost or not, I don't know. She could have just been a severely lost tourist. But I do know. I saw her clearly and distinctly. And she kept on going. I'm a spooky wee ghost. This is not in the newspaper, Jenny. (laughs) There's no mistake about it. (laughs) No amount of questioning could break down this sturdy assertion to the girl that the lady had walked. What do you think, Annie? Do you think she saw a ghost? I think that you've (laughs) definitely been possessed, Jenny. (laughs) The full tale, however, does not rest completely upon the testimony of one maid. The whole household corroborates the noises and disturbances. Miss Kellis, the housekeeper, has frequently heard thuds, knocks and moanings, from which no reasonable explanation was forthcoming. I mean, it could just be some really excited bats in the attic. The old moaning bat of Fivey Castle. (laughs) Ah, that traditional ballad. (laughs) Another maid swears to the mysterious doings of a hat box, which, on a quiet night, aye, this is serious, which, on a quiet night, moved slowly along a shelf until it was on the point of toppling over before she snatched it down. The hat box was also heard to be saying, Ooh, I'm a spooky wee ghostie in a hat box. <laughs> okay, so back to the article. <laughs> it does go on to say that it was not, in fact, a whole skeleton, but only a jawbone, mm. a rib, mm-hmm. and a few smaller bones. Okay. <laughs> so just a fraction of all, you know, the head, the torso, and a few of the limbs. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, but I almost think that's worse because how did only a jawbone get into the wall? What did they do with the rest of the head, Jenny? Maybe the whole skeleton is just dotted around the castle, you know? A wee bit in every tower. <laughs> mm, yes, this is a femur room. <laughs> and just down the spinal hallway, we have the skull pantry. Mmm, lovely. And that bedroom over there is the lucky bone bedroom. <laughs> Well, no, no one gets lucky in there because all of their bones are all scattered across the castle. Mm. Actually, no, Jenny, this is a myth that you've made up. (laughs) You made this up after finding out they find a jawbone and a couple of other bones Mm -hmm. built into the wall. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they've got bones in every room. Okay, okay. Well, the article may clear this up a little bit, Annie. The bones were taken from the wall and are now in the sturdy hands of the estate carpenter, said the housekeeper. There is no truth to the story of their burial in the churchyard. But it is a fact that ever since their removal, the curious noises have become intensified. For years we've heard stories of queer sounds, but generally oh, we just laughed at them. But within the past fortnight, we have heard them more than ever before. And what about you? Do you believe in ghosts? Frankly, I do not. But there is something mysterious about what goes on here that I can't attempt to explain. Everyone knows of it, and we laugh it off. Yet it's there all the same. Wow, so there you have it. After some of a skeleton was actually found built into the walls of the castle, all of the staff really did hear more spooky and unexplainable noises. 
But there's so much unanswered stuff. This reporter just doesn't ask, like, who did the skeleton belong to? Why was it put in the wall? What kind of hat was in the hat box? Which two employees were making all the moans? <laughs> well, I've done a little bit more research on these very questions. Oh, bless the horned ghosts for Annie. <laughs> now, the tales that I've been able to find about these bones all seem to be relatively modern. So my suspicion is that the story I'm telling here was likely created after the discovery of the bones in 1920 and perhaps even later than this, just to fit the mystery of the bones. I get the impression that the bones were a kind of catalyst for welcoming new ghost stories into the castle. And so we come to this medieval yet modern ghost story. And it is believed the bones in question belonged to Lady Meldrum. Now, she was one of the first ladies to live in the house in the 13th century. She requested that her skeleton be built into the walls of the castle upon her death. That's like one of those weird requests your mum makes on a Saturday night. Like, when I die, I want to be stuffed and kept in the grandchildren's nursery. And you're like, yep, mum, of course, don't worry about it. We're going to do that. And then when she dies, you just bury her because taxidermy is expensive. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't want to traumatise your kids, Jenny. Also, a glass case that large would be expensive too. (laughs) Well, clearly no request was too outlandish for the aristocrats of the 1200s. And after her death, she was built into the walls of the castle. And it is believed that these could be the bones that were found in the gun room 700 years later. And if they're not hers, well, maybe she started a trend and it was a cool thing to do in the castle before you died. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. But Lady Meldrum is actually known as the Grey Lady of the house, so they've kind of mixed two different myths about the castle here. The Green Lady, spoken of in this article, is an entire different ghostly entity in the castle. A whole different phantom. The Aberdeen Press and Journal in 1938 tells us about the tale of Lilius Drummond, the Green Lady. Before leaving the lodge of the castle, visitors would do well to turn to the left behind the building and they will find a third road. Neglected, moss-grown, derelict, and striking north towards the castle. This fragment is all that remains of what for more than 300 years was the main approach to the castle in the days of the Meldrums and the Setons. Gallant knights and ladies fair have passed along it. Here rode to the castle the beauteous Dame Lilius Drummond, the fair young wife of Alexander Seton. Chancellor of Scotland and the First Lord Fivey, little dreaming that in the coming centuries her wraith would haunt the castle as the Green Lady. Dame Lilius died a mysterious death at only thirty, having bore five daughters and no sons to her husband, and in less than six months her husband married Griselle Leslie, a handsome young woman whose face did not match her name who had lately begun to visit the castle. On their wedding night, they occupied a room two storeys up in the Dunfermline wing. Outside the room were heard all night long 
sighs, and the sounds of weeping. Next morning, it was discovered that some invisible hand had carved on the stone window sill outside the letters which read from the outside, D. Lilies Drummond. That was in 1601, and the letters are perfectly legible to this day. So, clearly, the Green Lady is a fan of carving her name in stone. Oh, she should check out our Cove Sea Cave episodes, then. (laughs) (laughs) She'd have fit right in that cave. (laughs) So, the Green Lady is quite a common ghost. I'd say she's one of the commonest ghosts. Mm. And it's usually a woman who's been very badly treated Mm -hmm. in her life. And I think that there are so many Green Ladies... (laughs) around just goes to show how badly women have been oppressed in history. Okay, Annie, I have found a story that is possibly my favourite bit of research I have ever done for this podcast. This one, it has it all. It has a haunted tenement, it has thousands of people and a real-life death. This sounds brilliant. It comes from the North British Daily Mail in 1855. Okay, so North Britain is what rich people in the 18th century would call Scotland in the hopes that it would be um, less Scotland Ah. and more united with Britain. Well, Annie, I'm glad to see this podcast isn't called Stories of North Britain. It's genuinely a dreadful name for Scotland. (laughs) North Britain. It's borderline offensive. Now, this article is called Ghost in the Gorbals. Retreating up a dingy, narrow cul-de-sac from Clyde Terrace, Gorbals, stands a row of old world tenements that are happily now deserted. An antique two-storey house with attics forms the most prominent house in the line. The attic windows look out over a cement and hay yard into Buchan Street. Two years have passed since those attics have been occupied, and at twilight, a bat may be seen fluttering out and in through the shattered panes. Wow, we're really setting the scene here. It is. The area has since been demolished and the sheriff court is now there, but I looked it up on an old map and this creepy abandoned tenement lay in the depth of a labyrinth of winding and seemingly structureless alleyways. There's no wonder a ghost is trapped in there. It would be a nightmare to navigate that in the daylight, let alone the afterlife. I can imagine. At dusk on Sunday evening, a group of gossiping females were loitering around on Buchan Street when one of them made the startling announcement to her companions that she had just seen the head of a female enveloped in white peer sadly and stealthily out through the cobwebbed dingy attic window and, with a solemn shake of the head, suddenly vanish. (gasps) Tickled by this mysterious story, others in the group were ready to acknowledge that they too saw something of an unaccountable form at the windy. Old superstitions were awakened. Tales were told of a female who had many years ago committed suicide in that very house and another who had gone missing and never since been heard of and a crowd began to gather and only dispersed with the approach of midnight. A poor widow named O'Brien, residing in the adjoining street, had been suffering greatly from asthma and having stepped out into the evening to get a mouthful of fresh air, heard of the ghost and... Going back into the house, 
suddenly expired. Garrulous females ascribed her death to the shock produced by the appearance of the ghost. So now we have an elderly asthmatic woman being so frightened by the ghost in the window that she that she died. Yeah, either that, Annie, or the air quality outside the flat was worse than inside it, which honestly, at the time in Glasgow, was quite likely. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> smog of industrial Glasgow would have been dreadful. Yep. Monday morning saw the reassembly of an idle, gaping crowd, composed of thieves, weak-minded persons, and others possessing a feeling of morbid curiosity, all gathered to look at the mysterious windy. Some reckless and mischievous youths demolished it with stones. All day yesterday, the neighbourhood was in a perfect ferment about this ghost. A cobbler, holding his usual weekly holiday, fortified his courage with an additional glass and got up on the rigging of the haunted house, determined to confront the ghost. <laughs> wow, we've had two episodes in a row now where we're coming across drunken shoemakers. <laughs> this really should be the season of the drunk cobbler. Season five, the many adventures of the druthy cobbler. You'll <laughs> clean your cathedral and punch a ghost. Anything for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Another man, more daring yet, ventured to the threshold and loudly dared the mysterious visitant to mortal combat. Alright, ghosty, come out here. I seen you in there. Come on, square go. <laughs> you looking at me? No, cause I'm looking I'm looking for you, actually. Are you are you in there? <laughs> so forget about Mortal Kombat, Jenny. I feel like this is more immortal combat. <laughs> Imagine trying to punch a ghost. <laughs> oh, I love this so much. They're literally trying to square go an old ghost lady <laughs> in broad daylight. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners who aren't from Glasgow, a square go is a Glaswegian term for picking a fight. <laughs> <laughs> and so the matter stood until the police were called to clear the street. No sooner had they done so than a new and still more curious crowd arrived. And in spite of a heavy shower of rain, several thousand persons were collected, straining their eyes in looking at a so-called haunted house, in the idle hopes of being favoured with a glimpse of the ghostly stranger. The circumstances worth recording as illustrating the credulity which still exists among a certain class of inhabitants of this enlightened city. Oh, ouch, tell us what you really think. <laughs> so this is interesting because this line right at the end tells us a lot about the garbles at the time. And the already evident class divides of the city. Mm. And I think this is a really fascinating case of how the working class population and the people in power are allowed to respond to mysticism. Because rich Victorians were absolutely fascinated with ghosts. And you can see it in their literature, in their plays, in their parlour games. This time period is the height of popularity for making a seance as entertainment. These guys were just making a scene for entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as a ghost appears in an area filled with working class people, the ghost becomes completely unbelievable mm. and actually a marker of how gullible the garbles are. However, I really don't think this is the case. 
I think what's likely happened is that we have some empty and unsafe properties and perhaps they've attracted some squatters. Some spooky squatters. (laughs) (laughs) Who, when seen looking out of their windows, the conclusion jumps to a ghost. And of course, the other possibility is that the people in the garbles just want to have some fun and some entertainment like everyone else was having at the time with ghosts. Yes, the people of the Gorbals deserve a bit of spooky fun too. And honestly, I'd much rather watch a drunken shoemaker try to fight a ghost than a seance in a Victorian parlour. <laughs> <laughs> and at this time, the Gorbals weren't as densely populated as they would soon become. But they were still on the south side of the river and were clearly in some state of disrepair. The people living in the Gorbals would have been working in the big industries of Victorian Glasgow. Spinning, um, weaving factories and ironworks for the ships. This kind of thing. A little ghost here and there doesn't do you any harm, Annie. Unless you have asthma. Then it'll really, yeah, it could really kill you. (laughs) But there are actually quite a few Gorbals ghost stories appearing in local newspapers for the Victorians. (laughs) Um, And in one instance, there was a ghost spotted hovering above gravestones in a graveyard. And so many people gathered in this Gorbals graveyard that the police had to disperse them actually quite violently. (laughs) They really overreacted. And I mean, what's the damage in a few people going to try and see a ghost? Mm. And it had the headline in the newspaper as ghostly riot. Any excuse for a graveyard rave, honey? (laughs) (laughs) So... Ghost stories in local newspapers give us this wonderful insight into what scared and entertained people about ideas of mortality, afterlives and magic. And this is such a small sample of what we've uncovered. Ghosts regularly appeared in the news. And whilst looking at ghost stories in local newspapers, I stumbled upon this lovely sentiment of why ghosts matter. And it's from the Northern Chronicle and General Advertiser for Northern Scotland, which was published in 1885. They connect us with the much-touted past, the golden age of the Highlands, the age of guinea-a-ton kelp and genuine kelpies, and prove our antiquity, as well as antipathy, for a materialistic age. Ghosts are valuable institutions. They preserve the continuity of human feeling, with apologies to the multitude who say they are doomed relics of barbaric people. Ghosts, true and unadulterated, still have a vocation. They direct our thoughts from the realities of life, stern and contaminating, to another and a hidden world, and conditions and possibilities. They appeal to the spiritual part of our constitution, They invite reverence from the unknown. They stimulate and energise our investigations into what lies in a dim beyond. There is room enough in the world for us and them. I really love ghost stories. They remind me lots of the in-between spaces of nature. Fogs and mists or a horror coming over the sea. I think of ghosts when I see clouds obscuring the moon 
and there's some slow and ominous beam of light just peeking through. Mm. I think that ghosts have to be one of the oldest legends that there is and evidence of how much people think about what comes after death. However, when I meet people who say they have seen a ghost, I always assume that they've had one too many whiskeys. <laughs> However, I still find ghost stories absolutely fascinating. Honestly, Annie, I think we could use more ghosts in the newspapers nowadays. Instead of celebrities doing boring things, it would be much better if they were being haunted. I want to see Annie Lennox telling some tabloid journalist that there's a ghost in her attic chucking courgettes at her. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of worrying about an invisible virus, I would rather be worrying about some invisible plum-throwing mischief maker <laughs> under my bed. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> don't know if I would. <laughs> Well, Jenny, if I die first, I promise to haunt you with some asparagus. Well, I think we both know I'm never going to die, Annie, so I look forward to the haunting. <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer my asparagus steamed and with a fried egg, and if you had some, like, um, you get some of that fancy Himalayan pink salt as well on there, <laughs> uh, that would be a really good cup of coffee, nice and hot. <laughs> Perfect. Well, since I'm haunting you, I'm just going to use regular salt. <laughs> oh, oh, Annie, oh, that hurts. <laughs> And on that note, thank you all for listening to this light-hearted episode of Stories of Scotland. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to make this podcast and you can support us on this journey through Patreon. A big shout out for our new patrons, Susan Miller and Jackie. And for Petra, who didn't think that we could pronounce anything in German. <laughs> oh, Petra. Wuppertaler ist die Stadt der Träume. Und hat die größte technische Meisterleistung der 20. Jahrhunderts, die Schwieberbahn. <laughs> <laughs> I've become a bit obsessed with the Schwieberbahn over lockdown. If anyone is looking for 15 minutes of light entertainment, please Google the Schwieberbahn. <laughs> <laughs> We really appreciate your support. You're all brilliant, beautiful people. Thank you so much for coming along with us on this time-travelling haunted train through Scottish history. Woo! You can also support us by leaving a nice review or liking and sharing our social media or just by telling your friends about this weird little podcast that you enjoy. Genuinely, your support makes this all worthwhile and we really appreciate all of you kind, generous and wonderful human beings and ghosts that are listening. Please don't haunt me or do haunt me. I don't know if I'd like to be haunted. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you aren't too spooked buy our ghost stories and still get a good night's sleep tonight. Slangeva. Slangeva. <laughs> <laughs>